We're going to be learning in Chidusha Ben Ochaim Alevi the second piece in Hilchus Meiser Sheni. This is Perak Ches Halacha Zion, and the case of the Rambam that Rab Chaim's analyzing is a fairly convoluted one involving Chilul, which means if someone has Meiser Sheni crops, they can do trading with it in order to bring it up to Yerushalayim. It might be annoying to carry up, or the food might spoil, so they could exchange it for money, and then that money they could buy new crops with it, which made it much easier to eat. In Yerushalayim. So the Rambam has a case where the value of the crops changed in the middle of the transaction, and Rab Chaim's going to analyze that, but as is his way, as he starts to impose order on the situation, it will become much clearer what this process actually means halachically. The Rambam rules in four different cases involving a change in the value of the Meiser Shani crops in the middle of the transaction. Now, in all of these cases, the buyer is doing two things in order to take ownership of the crop. One is Meshicha, they pull the crops, which is a form of taking ownership in Halacha. And the second is that they pay money. But in the first two cases, first they do the Meshicha, followed by paying the money. And in the last two cases, first they pay the money, followed by the Meshicha. Now, in each case, the value of the product went up or down in the middle. So that's how we get to four cases. Now, the Rambam is clear that the case he's discussing is where the money is Meiser Shani money, and he's using it to buy produce, which is regular chulin. So we're already in the middle of this case. He's already exchanged the first Meiser Shani produce for money, and now he's using that money to buy new regular produce, which is now going to become the Meiser Shani produce in this case. So the first case is where he did Meshicha and the produce was worth one sella. And then before he was able to give the money, it went up to two sellas. So the Rambam says, He only has to pay one sella. The halacha is that he acquires with paying the money. So here, because it was locked in, at one sella, that's when he did the Meshicha, so he only ever has to pay one sella, and then he acquires all of the Meiser Shani produce, and the Ramam concludes, the extra benefit in this case goes to Meiser, because even though he only paid one sella of Meiser money, and he acquired the value of two sellas worth of produce at that moment in time, still he has to treat the entire batch like it's Meiser Shani, all of that produce, the full two sellers worth, gets the halachas of Meiser Shani. The second case is the opposite. He did the Meshicha when it was two sellers, and then before he was able to pay, the value declined to one sella, and that's when he gave the money. So in that case, the Rambam rules that even though he owes him two sellers, because that's when it got locked in with the Meshicha, but Eino Mafrish Alehen Mimos Meiser Sheni Sela Achas. He can only pay one sella from the Meiser Sheni money. He then has to take another sella from his own private Hulin stash in order to supplement the two sellas that he owes. So even though he does have to pay the seller two sellas because it got locked in at the Meshicha at two sellas, but he can only use one seller from the Meiser Shani stash because at this point it's only worth one seller. So in both of those cases, the Rambam rules in favor of Meiser Shani. 
that the whole batch of produce, which is either worth two selas currently or cost two selas, it's all considered Meiser Shani fruit, even though he only paid one sella for it from the Meiser Shani batch of money. Now, the third case reverses this. First, he paid the money and then he did the Mashicha. And when he paid the money, it was worth one sella. And then before the Mashicha, it went up to two sellas. So the Rambam rules, Masha Pada Pada, that the buyer gets to keep it for one sella. The seller cannot demand any more money. It got locked in at the one sella price. The Haddin Beinehim, and that's the Halacha. The Kesef Mishnah explains that those words mean that even though in general, the rabbi said that just giving money alone is not sufficient to take ownership, but when it comes to Meiser Shani, they kept it with the original Torah Halacha that money alone it does acquire. So when the buyer gave that one seller, it locked in the deal and he owns all of the produce, even though the value of it then went up to two sellers. And the fourth case is where he paid him, it was two sellers, and then before he could do Mishicha, it went down to one seller. So again, the Rambam rules, Mashapada Pada, that the two sellers he gave him belong to the seller and he can't get his money back. He owns the produce for two sellers. Umidas Hadin Beinehim. And that's the halacha. Again, the rabbis kept it that whatever he gave the money locked in the deal. So even though it then went down in value, the buyer still has to finish the deal for the original amount of money that he paid. And he has to do the meshicha. So the meiser sheni is not totally transferred until he does the meshicha on it. So according to the Rambam, even though the money locks in the deal, there still does need to be a meshicha in order to complete the transfer of the Meiser Shani Kedusha to the produce. So those are the halachas that the Rambam codifies. They're based on the Mishnah in Meiser Shani, Perek Dalad Mishnah Vav. Now the Raivet has a long critique of the Rambam and a different way to read this Mishnah, but Rab Chaim begins by quoting two questions that the Raivet has on the Rambam's reading of the Mishnah. Firstly, the Ravid asks that it's Efshar. You can't say like the Rambam saying, You don't acquire the produce with only money, you also need Meshicha. Because we don't want a case involving Meiser Shani money to be more lenient than a regular case with no Meiser Shani involved where you need Meshicha, so here too you need Meshicha. Now, the way the Kesef Mishnah explains this question of the Ravid, he's asking on the first case of the Rambam, where there was Meshicha when it was one sella, and then it rose before he gave the money to two sellas. And the Rambam ruled in that case that the buyer only has to give one sella, and the Rambam quoted as a proof the Pasuk which says that Meiser Shani is fully acquired with money alone. So the Ravid says this is totally backwards. Because the Rambam is actually saying here that you acquire it with Meshicha. The Meshicha was what locked it into the cheaper price in this case. So how can the Rambam say that you acquire Meiser Shani with money as the explanation why the Meshicha works in this case when that seems to imply the opposite? So the whole halacha here implies that the money is not the only factor when it comes to a Meiser Shani transaction, but the Meshicha can also lock it in. 
the place where the Rambam should have quoted that Pasuk is on the third case where he gave the money at one sella and then it went to two sellas, but it was still locked in at one sella. That would have been the right proof to quote this Pasuk that the money alone acquires my Sersheni, but the Rambam didn't do that. He quoted it on the first case, which is a problem. Second, the Ravid asks that, as we said, the Rambam interprets the whole case here as being money of my Sersheni, which is purchasing regular produce. So the Ravid asks, if the produce has nothing to do with Meiser Sheni, then who cares that the buyer did Meshicha on the produce? At that moment, this case has nothing to do with Meiser Sheni. It's just a person who's done Meshicha on regular produce. And until he brings the money of Meiser Sheni, it shouldn't be any different than any other case. So why does the Rambam say when someone goes ahead and does Meshicha on regular produce, which was worth a sella, and then it goes up to two sellas, that it's different because this is a case of Meiser Sheni, when up until the point when he brought the money, it had nothing to do with Meiser Sheni. That's the Ravid's very powerful question. The Ravid himself says that the case of the Mishnah is where the produce is Meiser Sheni. It's not talking about money of Meiser Sheni purchasing regular produce, it's a step before that. A person grew Meiser Sheni produce and they're trying to exchange it for money, which will assume the Meiser Sheni Kedusha. So when the buyer does Meshicha on that Meiser Sheni produce, even before they bring the money, it still is a valid case of Meiser Sheni. So there's a fundamental debate between the Rambam and the Ravid how to read these cases in the Mishnah. According to the Rambam, the Meiser Sheni aspect of it is that the buyer is using his Meiser Sheni funds in order to buy produce to eat. Whereas according to the Ravid, the farmer is selling his Meiser Sheni produce in exchange for money. So there's an important debate between them about the very case that we're discussing in the Mishnah. And the Ravid questions the Rambam's interpretation, as we said, for two reasons. Because first of all, how can you prove that Meshicha locks in the transaction from the fact that the Pasuk gives all the power to money in this case? That seems the opposite. And second of all, who cares if someone does Meshicha on regular produce before they've even brought their Meiser money to the case? So Rab Chaim gives a very creative solution to the Rambam, and he explains that the basic difference between a Kenyan Kesef and a Kenyan Meshicha is that when someone gives money, they're acquiring the other object. They're not acquiring the money, but they're using the money in order to take ownership of the other thing in this transaction. Whereas when it comes to Meshicha, they're pulling the actual object that they want to take ownership of, and by taking ownership of it, they're then obligating themselves to pay the value of it to the seller. Now in halacha, when we talk about kesef, money, it doesn't mean dollar bills or coins, but even shove kesef, even an actual object which has monetary value can have the same halachas as money. So based on that, Rab Chaim very cleverly says that even if someone gives an object, it could have the same halachas and work in the same way as a Kenyan kesef. In other words, the difference between a Kenyan Kesef and a Kenyan Meshicha is not whether we're dealing with money or an object, but it's rather how the transaction is affected. So someone could use an object and still affect a Kenyan Kesef because they would be using the object as Shave Kesef for its monetary value. So when the buyer gives the Shave Kesef to the seller, he's taking ownership of the other thing in the transaction through this object, which is exactly a Kenyan Kesef. 
And Rab Chaim proves this from an explicit Gemara in Kiddushan and Ches, where the Gemara talks about Kenyan Chalipin, that someone can exchange two objects, like an ox and a cow. So when one of them takes ownership of the cow, the other one's going to acquire the ox. And the Gemara explains that that's based on a Kenyan Kesef. So you see that even objects are able to affect ownership on the other object in the transaction, just like money. So this is how Rab Chaim proposes to read the Rambam. That in a case where someone did Mashiach on regular produce with the intention of paying for it from Meister Shani funds, the produce that they do Mashiach on is the Shavek Kesef. It works in the same way that money does to obligate the buyer to give the money of Meister Shani, which is actually the object being acquired in this case. So there's a role reversal. Even though ordinarily the money functions like the Kenyan Kesef and it obligates the person to give the buyer the other object. In this case, it's the reverse that when the buyer pulls the fruit, it becomes like money to force him to give the money, which is the object being acquired in exchange of the fruit. And Rab Chaim proves this is possible from two Gemaras. In Bechoros and Daphnan Aleph, the Gemara says, you can't exchange slaves or documents or land or hektish. And the Gemara interprets it means you can't exchange slaves or documents or land for hektish, something which is sanctified can't be exchanged for those three. And the same things in the Gemara in Bavmetzi on Daphne and Dalet, it says that hektish can't be exchanged for land. But the implication is that hektish could be exchanged for any movable items which have monetary value, meaning Shavah Kesef. And that implication is stated explicitly in the Sifra, in the Chukosai Parakir Aleph. It says that we only know you can exchange hektish for money. From where do we know that you could exchange it for metaltalin, movable property? So it learns it out from Upada, that the Torah includes that you could use any metaltalin in order to exchange hektish. But you see very clearly that Shavah Kesef is legitimate to exchange for hektish. Now, how does that work? Because hektish not only needs to be exchanged for something of value like money, but there also has to be a Kenyan Kesef. The way that Hektish functions is that it's exchanged through a monetary Kesef transaction. And Rab Chaim proves that from two Gemaras and Kiddushin. The Mishnah and Davchav Ches says Rishus HaGavoa B'Kesef, that the way Hektish exchanges things is through a Kenyan Kesef. And on Davhei, the Gemara says, Malik Kesef Shkain Podim Bo Hektish Umaiser Shani. That you have to use money in order to redeem Hektish and Maiser Shani. So that's also talking about a Kenyan Kesef. So you see that when it comes to redeeming and exchanging hektish, it has to be done not only onto something of value, but through the process of a Kenyan Kesef. So if that's the case, says Rab Chaim, how can the Gemaras imply, and the Medrash says explicitly, that you can exchange Meiser Shani, which is a hektish, onto Shavah Kesef? There's no Kesef transaction in that case. So we must say, like Rab Chaim explained, that Shavah Kesef can function as if it's Kesef in the transaction. So a Shavah Kesef can also affect a Kenyan Kesef, which is how it works with regard to Meiser Shani. Now Reb Chaim addresses a question on his theory, and this is going to severely limit the extent of this theory. The Gemara in Bavmetziah and Daphmem discusses whether gold versus silver, which one is considered kaspa and which one is piri, which one is the money in this transaction and which one is the object. And it's clear that it's based on an evaluation of how they're used and what they're worth. 
So you see very clearly that there are defined rules for how we evaluate which object is considered the money in the transaction and which one is the object being purchased. You can't just make up and reverse roles and decide that in this case, the object is the money and the money is the object. There are very defined rules for how to evaluate what's the money and what's the object. So that goes against Rab Chaim's whole idea that when the buyer pulls the produce, that's considered the money and the money he plans to pay is considered the object. So Rab Chaim explains that yes, that Gemara disputes his idea, but he says that that Gemara is only talking about in a regular case of non-hectish, non-Meiser Shani related transactions. There, there are clearly defined rules and parameters for what's considered the money and what's considered the object. And that makes sense because these are real transactions that reflect what goes on in the world. So you can't just make up arbitrarily which one is going to be considered the money in this transaction. But that's fundamentally different from the process of exchanging hektish and Shani for money. That doesn't reflect the process of worldly business deals. But there the whole idea is that whatever is sanctified right now is being exchanged and redeemed and and that sanctity is going to go on the money. The whole point is not to buy it, but it's to transfer the sanctity from the object onto the money. Now, as part of that transfer, there is an ownership change. So there is a Kenyan that's needed, but that reflects the transfer of the sanctity more than it reflects the process of actually buying something. So based on that, says Rab Chaim, when someone is redeeming or exchanging hektish on money, the hektish is always the object, and the other object, whether it's money or shavek hesef, is always the money in this case. So based on Rab Chaim's fundamental distinction between a normal purchase versus redeeming hektish, so that's how Rab Chaim explains why in a normal purchase, the actual money, the dollar bill and the coins, is the kesef in halacha, whereas the object is what's being purchased, versus in the case of redeeming hektish, where the hektish is always the object, and the chulin, whether it's money or an object, is always the kesef in halacha. So based on that, coming back to our original case of the Rambam, where he pulled the produce when it was one zuz, and then he gave the money when it was two, so the Rambam is correct in saying that in Meiser Shani, the money always transfers ownership. So in this case, it got locked in at one cella, even though that was when he pulled the object of the produce. And he didn't give the money until later, but that was the moment of Kenyan Kesef under Halacha. And since the Torah says that Meiser Shani follows Kenyan Kesef, it got locked in at that moment. So that's Rab Chaim's answer to the Ravid's question on the Rambam. Why does he bring a proof from the rules of Kesef by Meiser Shani to a case where all that was done so far is Meshicha? But now in the third paragraph, Rab Chaim has two questions. First, there's a lingering issue with the Rambam. And the second is a question on Rab Chaim's approach. The first question is that in the first case where someone does Meshicha when it's one Sela and then it goes up to two by the time they pay, so the way the Mishnah formulates the halacha, it says, no sein sela, u mishtaker besela, u shelo. 
he has to pay only one sella because the price got locked in when he did Meshicha. And at that time it was one sella. And then he earns a sella and the Meiser Sheni belongs to him. Now there's a number of different ways to interpret that line. But the way the Rambam in his commentary on the Mishnah explains it, what it means is that you're able to take out two slaim from the Meiser Sheni pot of coins because right now that produce is worth two coins. But the buyer only has to pay one coin because that's what it was at the moment of Meshicha. So he ends up earning a coin from the Meiser Sheni pot. Since he took out two and he only spent one, so he gains that extra coin and he also owns all of the Meiser Sheni produce that he bought. Now again, this is based on the Rambam's interpretation of the Mishnah that when it refers to Meiser Sheni produce, it means regular produce, which is being purchased with Meiser Sheni coins. So that's why it makes sense to speak about the buyer earning a coin in this case, because since he takes two out of the pot and then only spends one on the regular produce, so he ends up ahead because he owns all of the produce, which is now Meiser Sheni produce, once the Kedusha gets transferred. And not only did he only spend one coin from his Meiser Sershani pot in order to buy produce worth two coins, but he even gets to take another coin out of the Meister Shani pot and keep it for himself. So that's the way the Rambam interprets the Mishnah in his commentary on the Mishnah. The problem is that when the Rambam codifies this halacha, he says lemaiser, that the extra coin, the benefit goes to Meiser, not to the buyer. So that seems to be a flat-out contradiction to what the Mishnah said, certainly the way the Rambam interpreted it. And this question is not original to Rab Chaim, the Kesef Mishnah and other commentators also deal with it. The second question Rab Chaim has is specific to his approach, because in the Mishnah, in the first case, where someone did Meshicha when it was one sella, and then it rose to two sellas by the time they paid, so the language of the Mishnah is below hispik lifdoso. He was not able to redeem it until it rose. So you see very clearly that the pidyon, the redemption of the Meiser Sheni, did not happen until the person paid the money. Meaning when they did the Meshicha, they obligated themselves to pay the money, but that was not the actual redemption. And that's exactly why the Mishnah rules that when they go ahead and pay the money for that one coin, they're able to redeem the entire two coin value of Meiser Sheni and they get to keep the extra benefit for themselves. It's exactly because the redemption, the pidyon is happening at the moment when they pay the coin, not when they did the Meshicha. Now, according to Rab Chaim's solution in the Rambam, that's not correct. The Meshicha is the equivalent of the Kenyan Kesef, and that's when the Pidyon, the full redemption of the Meiser Sheni, should happen. So Rab Chaim's approach goes against the language and the gist of the ruling in the Mishnah. So in order to explain this, Rab Chaim explains how the Rambam reads the Gemara in Kiddushin and Daf Beis. The Gemara brings a proof from this Mishnah to a debate between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda, whether Meiser Sheni is Mamon Gavoa, it's hektish, it's sanctified, or if it's Mamon Hedyot, it's just regular common property. So the Gemara says that from the fact that the Mishnah rules that the Meshicha locks in the acquisition, so that's against Rabbi Meir, who holds that Meiser Sheni is Mamon Gavoa, it's sanctified, because according to Rabbi Meir, Amai Mishtaker Besela, V'nosan HaKesef Vikomlo Amrachmana. Why would the gain the extra coin in this case because the Torah says as the Rambam quoted that only a Kenyan Kesef 
finishes up the acquisition. So according to Rebbe Meir, the original Mashiach should have been irrelevant because we're dealing with Meiser Shani, which is hectish. Only the money which was given later on when it was already worth two coins should lock it in. And at that point, he should have to pay two slayim. So this must be like Rabbi Yehuda, who holds that it's regular mamon hedyot, and that's why the Meshicha locks in the acquisition. So that's how Rashi interprets this question, that if it's mamon gavoa, then the Meshicha should be irrelevant, only the Kesef should acquire it. But says Rab Chaim that Rashi is clearly reading the Mishnah like the Ravid, that the produce itself is Meiser Shani, and you're redeeming it on regular coins. So that's why the Meshicha of Meiser Shani, according to Reb Meir, is irrelevant, because that produce itself is Meiser Shani. But the Rambam, as we saw, read the Mishnah totally differently, that the coins are Meiser Shani, and the produce is regular produce. So when the person does Meshicha on the produce, they're pulling something which is clearly Mamon Hedyot. And furthermore, Rab Chaim's whole explanation of the Rambam is that in that case, the produce becomes the Kenyan Kesef. So of course that's going to lock in the deal. There's no question at all on Rabbi Meir, even if he holds that Meister Shani is Mamon Gavoa, because here the person is pulling regular produce, which functions in this case as Kesef. So the Kenyan Kesef locks in the whole deal. So Rabbi Chaim says the whole assumption of the Gemara and Kiddushin, that this Mishnah follows the view of Rabbi Yehuda, that Meister is Mamon Hedyot against Rabbi Meir, is a problem for the Rambam's reading, because that doesn't seem to follow the way the Rambam interprets interpreted this Mishnah. And Rab Chaim points one of his rare references to an Achron that the Tosos Yom Tov on this Mishnah in Meiser Sheni, and this is actually the second time he's quoted the Tosos Yom Tov, that he already noticed that there's problems on the Rambam's interpretation of the Mishnah from this Gemara in Kiddushin. And Rab Chaim doesn't quote this, but the Kesef Mishnah on the Rambam here also discusses this sugya. So the Achronim were aware that there's a problem from this Gemara on the Rambam's reading. So Rab Chaim explains the Rambam's approach by dividing this halacha into two different aspects. He says that when someone does chilol on Meiser Shani, so they take Meiser Shani money and they buy regular fruits, there are two things going on over here. One is etzem amasa chilol mash mischalol kedushas ha-Meiser Shani sheba ha-Kesef ala peros chulin. One is the actual chilol, the transfer, that the kedusha in the coins now goes into the fruits instead. V'od ikob zedin kenyan bifnei atzma levat ha-chilol. And in addition to that, there's also a regular Kenyan that he acquires the fruits using this money. So if that's the case, there's actually two things going on over here when someone takes Meister Shani money and buys regular produce. One is a Meister Shani process that they're redeeming the money and now the fruits are going to be the Meister Shani instead. And the second is a regular acquisition like any other purchase when they go and take money and buy regular fruits. So Reb Chaim's whole analysis of the Rambam and all of the laws that are specific to Meister Shani like that only Kenyan Kesef works and that the pulling of the produce becomes a form of a Kenyan Kesef. All of that is only relevant to the first factor of taking the Kedusha of the money and transferring it to the produce. But when it comes to the second aspect, which is a regular acquisition, so that functions like any other acquisition. The money is the money and the Meshicha has to be done properly. So now how we evaluate this second aspect of the regular Kenyan is going to depend on the machlokas between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. According to Rabbi Meir, that Meiser Shani is Mamon Gavoa, so even the regular Kenyan aspect of it functions the same as Hektish because Meiser Shani is itself Hektish. 
So we can say the same role reversal, that the Mashiach of the produce is a Kenyan Kesef, and the Kenyan Kesef locks in the deal, because there is no regular financial arrangement in this situation. According to Rebbe Meir, the Chilul and the Kenyan function the same way because we're dealing with Mamon Gavoa, so the Kenyan is not a regular Kenyan. It's more like the rules of the Chilul, and however the Chilul worked, the Kenyan works. But according to Rebbe Yehuda, that's not correct. Because since he holds that the Kenyan of Meiser Sheni is Mamon Hedyot, so it's like any other Kenyan. It has to be done with proper Kesef. You can't roll reverse the produce into the Kesef. And it has to have Meshicha. It can't just be completed with Kenyan Kesef. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, the Kenyan aspect of the Chilol is going to operate very differently from the Chilol itself. So that's going to explain the assumption of the Gemara in Kiddushin, because the Mishnah ruled Mishtaker Besela, that the extra coin goes to the buyer personally. So that implies that there's a key difference between the Kenyan aspect and the Chilol aspect. The Chilol certainly doesn't happen until he gives the coin. But the Kenyan, according to the Mishnah, happened when he did the Meshicha because it's Mamon Hedyot. So at that moment, he locked in the price for this deal and it was only one coin. So that's why later on, when the price rises to two coins and he comes to pay the actual money. So from the perspective of Meiser Shani, he gets to take two coins out of the pot because he is redeeming the value of two coins. So the transfer of Kedusha involves two coins, which are now regular coins. But he only has to pay one coin because the Kenyan was already completed earlier, and now there's another coin lingering, which he gets to keep personally. So that makes perfect sense of the Mishnah's ruling. If you hold like Rabbi Yehuda, that Meiser Sheni is Mamon Hedyot, so therefore the actual Kenyan aspect was completed at the moment of the Meshicha, and that's exactly why the buyer gets to keep the extra coin personally. But according to Rebbe Meir, that Meiser Sheni is hectish, so then there's no difference between the Kenyan and the Chilol aspects. They both operate the same way. So the same way that the Meshicha locks in the deal in terms of the Chilol, that the produce itself is role reversed into being the Kesef in this case, so the Chilol is affected immediately at the moment of Meshicha, in the same way, according to Rabbi Meir, the Kenyan is completed immediately at that moment. So there's nothing remaining to be accomplished when he physically hands over the coins, which again, in this case, is the object being acquired because of the role reversal. So at that moment, when he goes to pay, the extra coin should remain for Meiser Shani. There's no reason why the buyer should get it personally. The Meiser Shani was redeemed and acquired for one coin. So that extra coin should remain Meiser Shani. So that's exactly the Gemara's question that the Mishnah seems to hold like Rabbi Yehuda, not Rabbi Meir. It's from this detail of what to do with the extra coin. The Mishnah says that the buyer gets to keep it, and that only makes sense according to Rabbi Yehuda, not according to Rebbe Meir, who would hold that it remains Meiser Shani. So now, having explained the question of the Gemara according to the Rambam's approach, Rabbi Chaim goes back to very brilliantly answer the two questions that he started off this paragraph with. Number one is that the Rambam rules against the Mishnah that the Haschar Lemaisa, that the extra coin remains Meiser Shani, whereas the Mishnah said that the buyer gets to keep it. So now this makes perfect sense because the Halacha is like Rabbi Meir, that Meiser Shani is Mamon Gavoa, it's sanctified. And the way Rabbi Chaim read the Gemara in Kiddushin, the whole Mishnah is following Rabbi Yehuda's approach, and that's why it says that the buyer gets to keep the extra coin, but according to Rabbi Meir, Meiser gets to keep the extra 
extra coin. So that's exactly why the Rambam shifted this halacha because he holds like Rabbi Meir. So in order to reflect that, he changed the ruling of the Mishnah. So the Rambam is not disagreeing with the Mishnah, but rather he's reflecting the way Rabbi Meir would have ruled, whereas the Mishnah is the way Rabbi Yehuda rules. And that's based on this discussion in the Gemara and Kiddushin. And Rabbi Chaim says that when you read the Rambam carefully, he's even alluding to that Gemara because he invokes the Pasuk of Nasan Kesef that a Kenyan Kesef completes the deal. So that's a reference to the line in the Gemara where it said that according to Rabbi Meir, the whole deal was completed much earlier and the extra coin would remain Meiser. So the Rambam is basing himself on that Gemara and that's why he changed the final Psak to be consistent with the approach of Rabbi Meir that Meiser Shani is Mamun Gavoa. So that answers that question very nicely. And the Kesef Mishnah also says a very similar approach, but Rabbi Chaim adds more lumdis and more color to the way he develops it. And that would also answer the other question that Rabbi Chaim asked, that the Mishnah said that the Chilol happens when the buyer gives the money, not at the moment of Meshicha. So again, that reflects Rabbi Yehuda's position that the Meshicha is the Kenyan, and the Chilol happens later when he gives the money. But according to Rabbi Meir, that Meiser Sheni is Mamun Gavoa, so everything happens at the same time, when he does the Meshicha on the produce, that turns the produce into the Kesef in this case, and that affects the Chilol and the Kenyan at the same moment. So this key distinction between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda, which is based on the Gemara, explains the differences between the Rambam's final psak and the subtleties of the Mishnah, because the Rambam is adapting the ruling of the Mishnah to be consistent with the Halacha, like Rabbi Meir, that Meiser Shani is hektish. Now, in the fourth paragraph, Rab Chaim continues his analysis, and he moves on to the next case of the Rambam, where the buyer did Meshicha when it was two slime, and then before he gave the money, it went down to one. And Rab Chaim's going to have three very strong questions on the ruling of the Rambam. The Rambam holds in that case that he can only use one coin of Meiser Shani, and then he has to supplement with one of his own personal coins. So firstly, Rab Chaim says that according to his analysis in the Rambam, there's no reason this should be the case. Because since he did the Meshicha, which is effectively the Kenyan Kesef, when it was two coins, so he should be able to take two coins from Meiser Shani in order to complete this purchase. Even though the value went down in the meantime, and now it's only worth one coin, but the entire transaction was completed at the moment of Meshicha, and at that moment he redeemed two coins of Meiser Shani. So there's no reason he shouldn't be able to physically hand them over later on. The second question is a variation of the first, which is that the Mishnah rules the same as the Rambam, that when the price goes down, he can only take one coin from Meiser Shani, and the other one has to be his own personal coin. So officially, the Rambam is just recording the ruling of the Mishnah. But the Mishnah is following Rabbi Yehuda, as Rabbi Chaim just explained. So at the moment when he gives the money, that's when the Chilol happens. So it makes sense that he can't spend two coins of Meiser Shani when the produce is only worth one coin at this point. But the Rambam, as Rabbi Chaim just explained, follows Rabbi Meir, that the whole transaction, including the Chilol, was completed at the moment of Meshicha. So the Rambam should have adjusted the second ruling also to reflect that, that he can spend the full two coins from Meiser Shani. And the third question is based on a halacha in the Yushalmi and Meiser Shani, Parak Dalid, and the Rambam quotes this later on in Meiser Shani Heivav. He writes that, Hapodem Meiser Shani, Biyasar al-Damav, Lo Nitvisa Tosefes 
If someone overpays for the redemption of my Sersheni, so the extra amount of money over and above the value does not have Kedusha. So you see that the evaluation has to be very exact. Only the money, which is equivalent to the value of my Sersheni, becomes Kadosh. But above that does not have Kedusha. Now, this would undercut the whole ruling of the Rambam here. Because the Rambam's making distinctions between whether the price went up or down, but it shouldn't make any difference. The Meiser Shani is only going to attach itself to the exact value of the produce. If the value follows the moment of the Meshicha, so then even if it goes down, he should pay him two coins of Meiser Shani. And if it follows the moment of paying the Kesef, then even if it goes up, he should only be able to take out of the Meiser Shani pot one coin. So the whole concept the Rambam discusses here, where the person gets to take two coins out and keep one of them, or they have to pay two coins, but one of them has to be their own personal one, doesn't seem to have any meaning because the halacha is that when it comes to chilol, the money has to be exactly evaluated based on the value of the produce. And here the Rambam seems to be fudging that halacha. So in order to answer these questions, Rab Chaim poses another question. And that is that in this case where the value of the produce went up in the meantime before he paid, so the Rambam says that the Meshicha locked in the value at one coin. But he hasn't chosen which coin he's going to use yet. So this should be based on something called Brera, which means when it's retroactively clarified. And the Gemara in Erevin and Lamed Zion also implies that this is a case of Brera because it says that if someone says, I'm going to redeem Meiser on a coin that I'll choose, so that depends on the Halacha of Brera because he's going to then retroactively clarify which coin he's going to use. Now, we hold that in matters of the Orisa, which are more strict because they come from the Torah, Brera does not work. So since this case is a situation of a Doraisa, Brera should not work. And the fact that he has to go choose the coin later should mean that it was not redeemed at the moment of Meshicha because it's based on Brera. Now in the parentheses, Rab Chaim points out that the Rambam is consistent because in Meiser Sheni Dalat Hasvav, he records this halacha if someone redeems the Meiser Sheni on the coin that they're going to choose later. And he says that that does work. So that would be consistent with saying that in this case also it's going to work even though it's Brera. But Rab Chaim argues that this case can't be Brera because the Gemara in Erevin records a debate about that case whether it works because of Brera. And here there's no debate in the Gemara about it. So it sounds like it works according to everybody, even the position that holds that Brera would not normally work. So it must be that the Gemara is assuming that this is not a case of Brera. So why is it not Brera in this case even though he has to go choose the coin later? So Rab Chaim answers based on the same idea that he developed earlier, that there are two aspects to the process. One is the chilol, the transfer of the kedusha of Meiser Sheni to the coins. And the second is the kinyan, that the coins affect a regular transaction. But now he adds a major conceptual point to his analysis. And he says that the whole chilol stems from the fact that there was a kinyan. In other words, the essential concept of chilol is not a standalone process parallel to the kinyan, but it comes from the fact that this produce was sold for this money. So that also creates the transfer of the kedusha. Now, in the parentheses, Rab Chaim goes on a bit of a tangent to use this idea to answer the question of Tosus and Babakama and Dafsam Achesim and Beis at the bottom. 
Tosfos asks that the Gemara says that Neta Revai, which is the produce of the fourth year, which has to be eaten in Yerushalayim, so it's similar to Meiser Sheni, it cannot be redeemed unless someone owns it. So that means that a prerequisite for redeeming Meiser Sheni or Neta Revai is that a person has to own it, but they could not redeem their friends Meiser Sheni or Neta Revai. So Tosus asks from the Gemara in Bechoros and Daf Aleph, which says that a person could redeem the Petar Hamor, the firstborn donkey of their friend, even though they don't own it. So Tosus wants to know what's the difference between these mitzvahs that Petar Hamor, the person doesn't have to own it to redeem it, whereas Meiser Sheni, they do have to own. Says Rab Chaim that based on his theory that the Chilul comes from the Kenyan aspect, so this is going to explain the difference perfectly. Because Petar Hamor, there's no Kenyan. The new animal which assumes the kedusha of the donkey is not used to buy the donkey. It's just switched that it now stands in place of the donkey. So that process someone could do even if they don't own the donkey. As opposed to Meiser Sheni, where there has to be a Kenyan as part of the process, it can't just be a switch, because as Rab Chaim said, the Chilul of the Meiser Sheni happens through the Kenyan. So in that case, the person has to own the produce, otherwise they can't do a Kenyan, just like any other Kenyan. You can't buy or sell something which doesn't belong to you. So that's a very clear distinction between Petr Chamor and Meiser Sheni. Petr Chamor is just a matter of rituals and Isurin, but there's no actual financial aspect to it as opposed to Meiser Sheni, which is based on a real acquisition, and that's why the person needs to own it. So now coming back to our case in the Rambam, this distinction between the Chilul itself, which transfers the Kedusha, and that the Chilul is created through the Kenyan, is going to be the key to understanding why there's no Brera in this case of the Rambam, even though he still needs to go choose the coin later. Because the Rambam agrees that the actual Chilul is going to take place on the timeline when he hands over the coin. And that's exactly in line with the Gemara and Erevin's assumption that choosing the coin is what finalizes the Chilul. But this case where he's purchasing the Meiser Sheni is still different. It's not Brera because when the buyer does Meshicha, he's agreeing that this is going to be the action of the Kenyan, even though it's going to take effect later. And based on the Gemara and Kiddush and Daf Samach, a person can do a Kenyan Kesef with the understanding that the actual Kenyan is going to take effect later on. So it's the same thing here. The buyer does Meshicha, and that is the action of Kenyan, which is going to create the Chilol, even though the Chilol itself is only going to take effect when he physically hands him the money. So this double step is what removes this case from the world of Brera. Because even though the effect of the Chilol does depend on Brera when he chooses which coin to hand over, but the Kenyan which created the Chilol is irrelevant to Brera because he did the Meshicha and that was immediately the Kenyan which is going to take effect later. That's why the Rambam's case is different than the Gemara and Erevin where there is Brera because that's just a one-step Chilol. He's just taking the Meiser Sheni and exchanging it for a coin. So that is a case of Brera because it's going to take effect as soon as he chooses the coin, which means he's retro proactively clarifying the situation. But in this case, there's an added step because he does a Kenyan in order to create the Chilol and that Kenyan is independent of Brera because regardless of which coin he chooses, the Meshicha, which he did now, creates the Chilol, which is going to take effect later. So now that Rab Chaim explained this double step, 
that there's a Kenyan which begins the process of the Chilul, even though the Chilul only finalizes and takes effect later on. So this is now going to be the key to answering the three questions he posed before. And he first goes to the third question, which is, how could the money and the value of the produce not line up perfectly when that's a prerequisite for Chilul, according to the Rambam, later on? So Rab Chaim very brilliantly explains that there's a key difference between the produce, which again is regular non Sheni produce, versus the money. Because the produce is regular produce, the only factor that matters is the moment of the Meshicha, the Kenyan. But the money, because it's Meiser Shani, so it has to lose its Kedusha, so the key relevant moment is going to be when the money is handed over and the Kedusha is transferred. So now, brilliantly, this is going to explain the distinction the Rambam makes between where the produce went up in value versus down. When it goes up in value, the question is, how much of this produce is included in the original deal which was finalized at the moment of Meshicha? So the question is about the produce, and therefore the relevant moment is the moment of Meshicha, and at that moment it was worth one coin, so all of the produce was locked in for one coin of Meiser Shani. As opposed to in the case where it went down in value, so then the question is subtly different. It's how much of the money can be spent in order to redeem this produce. So once the question is concerning the Meister Shani money, then the relevant factor is when he hands it over. And at that moment, the produce is only worth one coin. So again, he can only use one coin of Meister Shani. So understanding the different perspectives between whether the question is posed from the point of view of the money versus the point of view of the produce is going to explain whether the defining moment is when the Meshicha, the Kenyan happened, or when the Chilol happened when he handed over the money. And that's exactly the distinction the Rambam makes between whether the value of the produce went up or down, the key point being whether we're looking at it from the perspective of the produce being acquired or the money being redeemed, but in both cases, the value is exact. Now, let's summarize what Rab Chaim's said before the next step. He has three steps that he's built one on top of each other. The first is that when it comes to redeeming Meiser Shani, there's two aspects. One is the Chilol, and the second is the Chilol, which comes from the Kenyan. Then he built on that by saying that it's actually a timeline, and the Kenyan starts that Chilol, which is then completed at the Kesef. And that explains why there's no Brera in this case, because the Kenyan is independent of any Brera. The third step that he just added is he factored in whether the value of the produce went up or down. And he explained why in all cases that's going to result with the value of the produce being at one coin. Now, Reb Chaim's going to introduce the fourth and final step of this analysis of the Rambam, which is building on the first three. And he's going to bring together the whole piece so far, the distinction between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda, which he analyzed in the paragraph beforehand. And this is going to resolve the lingering question on the Rambam that the fact that he differentiates between the case where the produce went up in value versus down in value seems to contradict the ruling of the Mishnah that they're treated the same. So now the answer to this is that Rab Chaim is going to tie in the three steps he just discussed with the debate between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. The three steps that Rab Chaim developed are based on the idea that there's a timeline, that the Kenyan begins the Chilul, which then takes effect later on. And that's why when the value goes 
goes down. In the meantime, the buyer only can pay one coin of Meiser Shani. But all of that is only true according to Rabbi Meir that Meiser Shani is Mamon Gavoa, it's hectish. So therefore the Kenyan is when he did Meshicha on the produce. And as Rabbi Chaim's explained, that role reversed the produce into the Kesef. So it was a Kenyan Kesef. So that began the process of Chilol, which then completes when he physically hands over the money. So the whole analysis only follows according to Rabbi Meir. But according to Rabbi Yehuda, there is no timeline. There are no two steps in this process because he holds Meiser Sheni is Mamon Hedyot. So as Rab Chaim explained, the Kenyan has to be done following the normal rules of regular Kenyanim. So in this case, the Mashicha is not going to begin the process of Chilul until the money is handed over. And at that moment, the Kenyan Kesef and the Chilul both happen together. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, it's a one-step process. Meaning Rab Chaim shifts his emphasis of Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda from the third paragraph to the fourth paragraph. In the third paragraph, he stressed that according to Rabbi Yehuda, the Meshicha is the Kenyan and the Chilol is the Kesef. Whereas in Rabbi Meir, it's a one-step process at the moment of Meshicha. But now that he further refined his idea and he's saying that the Chilol only happens as a result of the Kenyan Kesef, so that changes Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda, and Rabbi Meir now has the two-step process because the Kenyan Kesef begins the Chilol, which is then completed when he hands over the money. But according to Rabbi Yehuda, the whole thing happens at one step when he pays the money. So now again, once Rabbi Chaim reintroduced this distinction between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda, so this is going to resolve the questions on the Rambam from the Mishnah, because the Mishnah follows Rabbi Yehuda, whereas the Rambam is adjusting it to follow the view of Rabbi Meir. So that's why in the Mishnah, the key moment is when he pays the money, because according to Rabbi Yehuda, that's when everything's taking effect. Whereas the Rambam who follows Rabbi Meir's view, so he adds in that the moment when he starts the Kenyan, which is the Mashicha, is also important because that's when the Chilol begins. And that's why the Rambam differentiates between whether the price goes up or down in the meantime, because there is going to be a difference now that we have this timeline with two important moments on it. Now, to summarize Rab Chaim's analysis of the Rambam in these two long, complicated paragraphs before we move on to the next case... He's explaining the first two cases of the Rambam where the Meshicha preceded giving the money and in the meantime, the produce either went up or down in value. And in both of them, Rab Chaim's explaining that the reason the Rambam deviates from some of the rulings or subtleties of the Mishnah is because the Mishnah follows the view of Rabbi Yehuda and the Rambam is adjusting the Halacha to follow Rabbi Meir, who we follow halachically. Now, putting it all together, so according to Rabbi Yehuda, the Meshicha locks in the price, but the Kenyan Kesef, which also creates the Chilul, all happen when he actually pays the money. Whereas according to Rabbi Meir, the Kenyan happens at the moment of Meshicha because the produce also transforms, it reverses into the Kesef in this case. So that's a Kenyan Kesef. So not only does it lock in the price, it also starts the process of Chilul and the Chilul is completed when he pays the money. So that very brilliant recreation of Rabbi Meir's view is going to explain the Rambam's rulings. That's why when the price goes up, the extra coin remains Meiser because the transaction was completed at the Mashicha. But on the other hand, if the price goes down, so then he can only spend one coin of Meiser Sheni because the Chilol was not completed until he paid. 
So that's Reb Chaim's analysis of the Rambam. Now in the fifth paragraph, he circles back to the Ravid's second question on the Rambam. So far, Reb Chaim's analysis has been to answer the Ravid's first question, which is why did the Rambam invoke the halacha of Kesef when he's talking about Meshicha? And Reb Chaim answered that Meshicha for the Rambam transforms into Kenyan Kesef. Now he comes to the Ravid's second question, which is if the Rambam holds that the case is where the money is Meiser Shani and the produce is just regular produce, so what does it matter that the buyer did Meshicha on the produce when he hasn't yet touched anything having to do with Meiser Shani yet? The Ravid wonders why this is at all a case of Meiser Shani when so far all he's done is Meshicha on regular produce, even though his intention is to pay with money of Meiser Shani, but why should that affect the Halacha at all? So Rab Chaim explains that the Ravid's question is because he fundamentally disagrees with the Rambam's idea that this Meshicha transforms into Kenyan Kesef, and the Ravid understands that this is just a regular Meshicha, like any other object that somebody pulls. So here he pulled the produce, intending to own the produce, and he's obligating himself to pay the money. But it's not correct to call it a Kenyan Kesef where he's acquiring the other object, which in this case would be the money, but rather this is a regular Meshicha where he's acquiring the object itself that he's pulling. So that's why the Ravid asks on the Rambam, how can you consider this a case of Meister Shani at all when all this person's done is acquired regular produce and they can choose to pay however they want with it. Now, Reb Chaim points out that the solution for the Rambam is going to be the same as he answered the first question. The Rambam holds that Meshicha in this case is a Kenyan Kesef. So that means he's not acquiring the produce, but rather the produce is being used to acquire the money, which is the object in this case. So that's why the Rambam validly considers this a case of Meiser Shani, because the money is Meiser Shani money. And by pulling the produce, which becomes the Kesef, he acquires the object, which is Meiser Shani. So it is a Meiser Shani case, even though he hasn't physically touched the Meiser Shani money. So again, the answer for the Rambam to the second question of the Raivet is going to be the same idea as the answer to the first question. But now Rab Chaim says that there is a stronger formulation of this question on the Rambam. And that is that the Rambam derives from regular Hektish that Meiser Shani too can only be acquired through Kenyan Kesef. He applies the rule of Nasana Kesef Vikamlo also to Meiser Shani, as we've been saying throughout. But says Rab Chaim, there's a key difference between these two cases. Even if Meiser Shani is Hektish money, but it's owned by a regular person, as opposed to real hektish, which is owned by hektish, by a higher power, so to speak. So that's why it can only be acquired by kesef, because there is no way to do a kinyan with a higher power other than kinyan kesef. That's the way the halacha is formulated. But that should not apply to a case of Meiser Shani, which is owned by a regular person. So even if the produce itself has sanctity, but the owner is a regular person who could do any number of Kinyanim. So why is it true that Meiser Shani can only be acquired through Kinyan Kesef and not through Meshicha or any other Kinyan? And Rab Chaim says, don't say that it's because of the Chilol. So since you need to transfer the Kedusha, it has to be done in the same way as Hektish. Because as Rab Chaim has been saying throughout, the Kinyan and the Chilol are two different processes. 
Pharisees. So even though the chilol might need to be done with the money, but the kinyan itself should be able to be done in any number of ways, just like a regular kinyan between two people. And Rab Chaim says that you could even read this question into the phrase of the Ravid because he uses the term Ein habalim aputropus shall meiser, that the buyer is not an agent of meiser, that his hand should be like the agent, the messenger of meiser. So the Ravid himself is pointing to this distinction that the person buying it and the person selling it are really regular people who could do any number of kinyanim. So why is the Rambam invoking the same halacha as by hektish that it can only be done through a kinyan kesef? So to answer this stronger formulation of the question on the Rambam, Reb Chaim further refines the idea that he's been developing, that the Chilol and the Kinyan are related. And he says that what the Rambam holds is that the way the Torah formulated the rule and the process of Chilol is the Hamekach Gufei Habeimasa Chilol. The Kinyan itself is an action of Chilol. It's a special rule when it comes to Meiser Sheni that the Kenyan is part of the process of Chilul. So this is a refinement of his idea because up until now he's been talking about it the other way, that the Chilul emerges from the Kenyan and now he's looking at it from the other perspective that the Kenyan is part of the process of the Chilul. And the proof for this says, Reb Chaim is the Rambam in Meiser Sheni, Zayin Yudalid, has a very surprising halacha and he says that if someone uses Meiser Sheni money and they buy water or salt or things which are not appropriate to become Meiser, lo konaha Meiser, afal pishiyotu hamos lechulen. The objects that he purchased do not become Meiser, even though the money does get transferred and redeemed, so it's no longer Meiser Sheni. So according to the Rambam, in a case where someone uses Meiser Sheni money to purchase objects which cannot become Meiser Sheni, even though the objects don't become Meiser Sheni, but the money does get redeemed. And the Ravid, in fact, asks on him that why shouldn't the money continue to be Meiser Sheni if the object that he purchased can't become Meiser Sheni. But according to the Rambam, Reb Chaim says that you see that the process of Chilol and the process of Kenyan are actually different. Because when it comes to Chilol, it's obvious that if the other object doesn't become Meiser Sheni, then you can't transfer the Kedusha from the money. It has nowhere to go. But the Rambam is innovating that when it involves a Kenyan, so even if the Kedusha doesn't go onto the other object, still the fact that this money was used as part of a Kenyan removes the Kedusha from it. So this shows us that in the Rambam, the Kenyan itself can remove Kedusha, even independent of the Chilol. It doesn't require the rules of Chilol, because in this case, Chilol can't take effect. There is no object to become Kadosh. It's just that the Kedusha is leaving the money through the Kenyan. So that's proof for Ab Chaim's idea that the Kenyan is a part of the Chilol, meaning it can even operate on its own. It doesn't necessarily need to be attached to Chilol, but the Kenyan itself is part of the process of Chilol. So if that's true, says Rab Chaim, that's going to explain why the Rambam invoked the halacha, that only Kenyan Kesef can work when it comes to Meiser Sheni. And the reason is because the Kenyan is not just a regular Kenyan, but it's a specifically Meiser Sheni type of Kenyan that removes the Kedusha. And that follows the same rules as Chilul and purchasing from Rishus Gavoa. So therefore it has to be Kenyan Kesef. So this is the key idea that the Rambam is getting at, that the Kenyan here is not just a regular Kenyan, but it's actually the Chilol. But again, says Rab Chaim, this theory is going to be problematic from the Gemarian Kiddushin, which said that the issue of whether Kenyan Kesef alone works by Meiser Sheni or not, 
depends on the machlokas between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda whether Meiser Sheni is Mamun Gavoa or not. And the implication is that according to Rabbi Yehuda that it's Mamun Hedyot, so then other Kinyanim like Meshicha would work. But says Rab Chaim, according to his reading of the Rambam, it's irrelevant whether it's Mamun Hedyot because either way, only the Kesef should work because the Kinyan here is not a regular Kinyan, it's a Chilol. And for Chilol, the rules must follow the way a person buys from Roshus Gavoa, which only involves Kinyan Kesef. So whereas the Gemara is indicating that it depends what the status of Meiser Sheni is, how the Kenyan works, according to Rab Chaim, if the Kenyan is always the Chilol, then it should have to be Kesef no matter what. So Rab Chaim answers by limiting somewhat his original idea or maybe adding some nuance to it. And that is he explains that even though it's true that the Kenyan is the Chilol and therefore it should have to be done by Kesef, but according to Rabbi Yehuda that Meiser Sheni is regular money, so it's also true that it functions under the regular laws of how to purchase Mamon Hedyot. And that has to be done through regular Kenyanim. It can't be done through money. So just because the Kenyan is the Chilol doesn't totally displace all of the rules of this object. And since at the end of the day, this Meiser Sheni is a regular object, which is owned by a person, in order to acquire it, it has to be done with a proper Kenyan. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, we would say that because Meiser Sheni is Mamun Hedyot, the fact that it needs regular Kenyanim overrides this idea that the Kenyan is the Chilol, which would necessitate only Kenyan Kesef. As opposed to Rabbi Meir, who holds that it's Mamun Gavoa, so then there is no regular Kenyanim going on over here. It's just the process of Kenyan, which is Chilol, and therefore there's nothing to override it, so it must be done with Kenyan Kesef. So again, according to Rabbi Chaim, this idea is going to be dependent on the fundamental debate between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. According to Rabbi Yehuda, that Meiser is Mamun Hedyot, so other Kenyanim are needed in order to create the Kenyan. And then only after the Kenyan's been created does the Chilol follow. Whereas according to Rabbi Meir, that it's Mamun Gavoa, so there is no ability to purchase and acquire in normal ways. The only concept is Chilol. So when we talk about a Kenyan in that case, we're just referring to the concept of Chilol, and that's why it must be done with Kenyan Kesef. Now, based on this idea in Rabbi Meir, which the Rambam Paskins, that the Kenyan is a form of Chilol. So now Rab Chaim in the last paragraph comes to explain the third case of the Rambam, where first he paid the money and then he did the Meshicha. And in the meantime, the value of the produce went up. So the Rambam rules, Mashapada Pada, that the original redemption, when he gave him only one coin, works. So Rab Chaim asks, how could you say that this is considered a Chilol when over here he gave him money of Meiser Sheni? In other words, normally chilol means that a person gives chulin, regular money, in exchange for the Meiser Sheni, and the Kedusha from the Meiser Sheni transfers to the money. But here it's the opposite. He's giving the Meiser Sheni money first, and somehow the Rambam is saying that the Kedusha transfers onto the produce which he hasn't acquired yet. So it seems backwards. How can the Kedusha transfer from money that the buyer gave the seller in exchange for his regular produce? So Rab Chaim says the explanation is, like he just said, that a Kenyan is an alternate track to doing Chilol, different than a normal Chilol. Even though in a regular case of Chilol, a person gives regular money and the Kedusha of the Meiser Sheni transfers onto it. And it's true that the Chilol normally wouldn't work if the money itself was the Meiser Sheni object. 
But in this case, we're not talking about Hillel. We're talking about Kenyan. That's an alternate track and it has its own rules. It doesn't matter whether the money is the Meiser Shani or not. The only thing that matters is that there was a Kenyan with the money and that automatically removes the Kedusha from it. So once these Meiser Shani coins were used as part of a Kenyan, even if it didn't follow the normal rules of Hillel, but it's a separate track that works differently and once the money was used as part of a purchase, it loses its Kedusha. And now Reb Chaim ends off the piece by preempting another possible solution. And he says, don't say like what he said before, that there's a role reversal in this case. So when someone gives Meiser Shani money for regular produce, the regular produce transforms into the Kesef, and that's how it affects the Chilol on the Meiser Shani money. Because the money becomes the object, and the produce that he's purchasing is Chulin money. And just like a normal case of Chilol, the Chulin money takes the Kedusha from the Meiser Shani. So even though Rab Chaim himself suggested that in the first case of the Rambam, but here he says you can't say that. And that's because he has a very powerful question on the Rambam. The Rambam says in Meiser Shani Zayin Yotas that the money of Meiser Shani is also considered Mamon Gavoa. So if that's the case, Rab Chaim asks, how can you use this money at all to purchase anything? Because if it's Mamon Gavoa, according to the Gemara and Kiddushan on Nandalid, you can't use it for any purchases. So what is the Rambam talking about at all that someone takes Meiser Shani money and goes ahead and buys produce when according to the Halacha which follows Rabbi Meir, that money is Mamon Gavoa and it can't be used for any purchases? So Rab Chaim says a very creative, very innovative idea. And he explains that we're forced to say that according to Rabbi Meir, as soon as someone uses the money for a purchase, it immediately loses its Kedusha. The phrase he says is, The purchase and the Chilul, the loss of Kedusha, come at the same moment. So that's the basis of the whole idea that this money can be used to make purchases because the second it's used as part of the purchase, it immediately loses its Mamon Gavoa, Meiser Shani status. So if that's the whole basis for how someone's allowed to use this money as part of a purchase to begin with, so Rab Chaim says it has to be that the Kenyan is an alternate track, such so that as soon as the buyer hands over the money, it immediately loses its Kedusha. But if we're going to go with this other idea that there's some sort of role reversal and the produce becomes the money and the money becomes the object and then the produce, which is the Chulin Kesef, redeems the Meiser Shani money, so then that's already too complicated because the person can't even spend the money to begin with. There's too many steps subsequent to that which are needed in order to redeem the Kedusha of the money. So it has to be like Rab Chaim's more simple idea that a Kenyan is an alternate track of Chilol and it happens immediately even if it doesn't meet the actual rules of Chilol, but the fact that this money was used for a purchase removes the Kedusha. That's the basis for how the buyer is allowed to use this money to begin with because as soon as they hand it over, it loses its Kedusha so that proves Rab Chaim's idea about Kenyan being a form of Chilol, and that explains the Psaka of the Rambam, that even if the value went up in the meantime, but the price got locked in at one coin, because the purchase was itself the Chilol, and however much it was worth at that moment, lost its Kedusha. So this is Rab Chaim's piece, very long and complicated piece. 
you're still with us, then uh, really you should be proud of yourself. The topic is esoteric to begin with, and the Rambam's case is convoluted, and Rab Chaim has a lot of ins and outs. So it's really a complicated piece and difficult to follow at times. I'm going to end by trying to highlight just some of the main ideas that Rab Chaim's developing, and it's hard to hit all of them because there are a lot of different steps. But the key issue that Rab Chaim's focused on is the relationship between Kinyan and Chilol. And he basically has three different formulations of it, not that they contradict each other, but each of them are needed to paint the overall picture. And Reb Chaim applies the different perspectives to different cases of the Rambam to help explain each case. So the first distinction is that Kenyan and Chilol are two different things, and the actual purchase, the Kenyan, could be done prior to the Chilol taking effect. Second, Rab Chaim refines this, and he says that when the Chilol is happening through the Kenyan, so it's precipitated by the Kenyan, specifically the Kenyan Kesef, and that's what sets into motion the Chilol. And then finally, the third distinction Rab Chaim formulates is that the Kenyan is a form of Chilol. It's an alternate track, which doesn't have to follow all of the rules of normal Chilol, but it can work just by handing over the money. And at that exact moment, the Chilol happens together with the purchase. So those are a lot of the ideas that Rab Chaim's toying with to try to figure out the relationship between these two concepts. And he weaves through that the debate between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda as to the status of the Meiser Shani. Now, in addition to that, Rab Chaim has another very creative idea here, which is that the Kesef can be transformed into the object which is being purchased and the object can be transformed into the Kesef so it acquires the other thing, which is the physical money, but in this case it's the object, as opposed to normal Mashiach, which acquires the object itself. So that's a very creative idea. And Rab Chaim limits that only to Hektish, where the whole point is Chilol. So that's why it doesn't really matter what's the physical money or what's the physical object, because whatever's being used to redeem the Hektish can be considered the money. But that wouldn't apply to a regular Kenyan where you can't play games about what's the money and what's the object. And finally, in the Or Olam edition of Chidush Rebbe Nechaim Alevi, in the back, they quote that in the Torah Zroim from Reb Aryeh Pameranshek, who wrote the Emek Bracha, he was a close Talmud of Reb Chaim's son, Reb Velvel, the Brisker Rav. So in his commentary on Zroim and Meiser Sheni, he quotes having heard this idea and the answer to the Tosus and Babakama from Reb Chaim before this was published. And he has a discussion about it there. And they also quote that Reb Chaskal Abramski in the Chazon Yechezkel and Tosefta Erchin Dalit Beis. So he brings a proof from an Another case to the last point that Rab Chaim made that the Kinyan and the Chilol happen at the same time.